Welcome to episode three of the Fraser Angus PT podcast. Today I am talking with Tyler Brooks, an accredited practicing dietitian, which is an allied health professional in Australia. And we're discussing the role of a dietitian, um, the sort of crossover or space where trainers advise on nutrition. And Tyler's got an interesting perspective on that because he was a personal trainer for many years before becoming a dietitian. Uh, Navigating nutrition, vegan dietary considerations, creatine and some of the myths surrounding creatine at the end. Um, Yeah, we sort of ramble a little bit and cover quite a few topics here. Um, As usual, yell out, feel free to contact Tyler or myself if you have any questions and I hope you enjoy this episode. Awesome. So I'm here with Tyler Brooks today. He is a dietitian. I actually linked up through a client that I think I referred to Aiden and then she found you. Um, yeah, you've yeah. done some, re- some really good work with her and she's got much better results in the gym since she started working with you. Um, so yeah, do you want to give us a little bit of a background into, I guess, your journey in the fitness industry and um, where you're at today yeah sure thanks Fred so um yeah my journey's been a pretty sort of roundabout way of getting to the point of being a dietitian um many years before I was a dietitian I was a computer programmer um and back in that sort of back in those days it was a pretty I guess like a stereotypical computer programmer type of life what you imagine somebody who is a computer programmer doing sitting in front of the screen all day sit on their butt um energy drinks like takeaway food mcdonald's that sort of stuff and i'd always come from a place of being quite active and playing a lot of sport and being into gym and all those sorts of things and then as i went through uni for programming and got a job after uni and started working as a programmer i got pretty fat and unfit to be frank um and i sort of had the realization that i didn't really know why like i obviously people know junk foods junk food sometimes or plus whatever foods as you like to be bad or good foods. But I didn't really know why I was getting so, you know, unfit and unhealthy compared to what my normal baseline had been throughout my life up until that point. Um, So I decided to kind of go down that pathway a little bit. So I quit my job as a computer programmer and went and started studying my three and four in fitness. I got to the point after programming, I was just like, well, what else am I good at? Because I wanted to go, I knew I wanted to be a programmer all the way through school all growing up my teenage years I was like yep gonna be a computer programmer love that passionate about that did it for a few years and I was like okay maybe this isn't what I want to do and I was like shit what else am I good at I was like I'm good at sports (laughs) maybe I'll do PT um and you know I was always interested in health and fitness and had that vested interest so I pursued that um yeah so for quite a few years I was a personal trainer um Obviously, that evolved over the years into myself owning a couple of gyms. So I had a few little boutique 24-hour gyms and one of my own brand of gyms. And then after probably, yeah, 10 or 12 years in that sort of personal training, coaching type of role and and owning those gyms, I did find that I wanted a bit more of a challenge. I wanted to, you know, take the next step in terms of my education. And nutrition was still a piece of the puzzle that I'd been missing. We didn't really learn much about nutrition as PTs, some of the basics. 
Um, but yeah, there's kind of that big hole there that I didn't really understand. And I wanted to sort of address that. And I was very passionate about it. I'd done a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, self-experimentation with different types of diets and methods of eating and fasting and keto and this and that and all the supplements. So I, I was interested in it, but obviously still didn't really know enough. So I went back to university to study um, exercise science, nutrition science, and then eventually a master's in dietetics. And that's kind of how I got to where I am now. So where I am now, I think I'm pretty lucky in the space I'm in. I mainly do work with people in the health, uh, like health and performance space. So mm -hmm. exercise, um, yeah, that exercise space, whether it be professional athletes. Um, I've got several boxers and Muay Thai fighters on my books. I've got a, a lot of high level power lifters, rugby players, that sort of stuff. But then also working with just sort of gen pop who do have that vested interest in their own health and fitness or their own performance. Um, so yeah, I like to kind of term it as performance nutrition and whatever performance is you, we can try and optimize that or improve that or get the most out of your performance by addressing the nutrition side of things. But yeah, awesome. sorry, long and meandering path, but we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I didn't realize how um, extensive your background in the industry was. Like you've done, you've done a lot of things. Um, yeah, I've been around for a minute. Cool. Yeah. So how long have you been practicing as a dietitian? Um, so I graduated just kind of before. I was graduating just as the pandemic was starting. So okay. it was a very interesting time. So we sort of finished our our final bit of coursework, I think, was it 2019? And then we had a last prac to get through in that first part of 2020. Mm -hmm. I think that was when the pandemic was really starting to kick off. Because, yeah, I, was, I remember in, like, those first rumors of lockdown starting when I was finishing up my, my final hospital placement. Um, yeah. Toowoomba, just outside of Brisbane. And even in that sort of smaller sort of city or almost country town, there were still rumors and rumblings of it coming down and people were starting to get screened coming into the hospitals and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been an interesting time to get started, but I guess yeah. we're coming up two years now. Yeah. So I guess you would have start, started working remotely as sort of an introduction into. Yeah. You know, literally, so, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, those initial consults and like building up client base was in this sort of online capacity or through zoom, like we're doing now. Mm. Um, I think that is definitely one of the positive things that's come out of the pandemic. Like people are so comfortable with telehealth now and doing an online consult. And realistically, we can offer pretty much the same service that you would get in person through something like this. And the, the pandemic in the air, very positive sense has definitely facilitated like the ease of use and people's understanding and acceptance of telehealth and online support, which is great because it allows us to reach you know, exponentially mm. more people than we can face to face. So that part of it's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely made it tricky to get a, uh, <clears throat> you know, a solid job out of uni. I was very lucky to um, get offered a position with Ideal Nutrition um, with Aiden, the dietitian as well. Yeah. So I actually started, I was working before I kind of finished graduating with Aiden in a few different content creation roles and resource cool. development and a few sort of things that we're allowed to do as dietitians before we're fully accredited. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as the accreditation all did come through and it was all legitimate, that's when I was able to step into that sort of uh, role seeing clients as well. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. As, as mm. like a, someone who's gone from working as a personal trainer into dietetics, um, I know like <clears throat> earlier in my career and probably 
still to this day, there's times where I think I overstep my role in in nutrition. Like I think the guidelines and information we we can provide is very general. And I know a lot of coaches that provide a lot more than that outside of their scope. Um, For sure. What have you sort of, I suppose, what's your experience with that happening when you were a trainer and then also now on the other side as a dietitian? Yeah, that's a really good question. Look, um, it's it's interesting because I would say I have a unique perspective. I'm sure there's PTs that have become dietitians out there. Hmm. But as a PT myself, before I was a dietitian, look, to be frank, I did give nutrition advice um, to my clients. I never gave anything like too crazy or too out there. But looking back to the, the information I did provide and the suggestions I did provide and the way that I gave that that nutritional education or recommendations, it would be so vastly different to anything I would ever do now. And I look back and just like face palm, I'm like, why did these people listen to me? <clears throat> but um, yeah. I think in general, there's there's kind of, I don't know, there's two things I think about with that. It's like, first of all, as a PT, generally, like you care about your clients and you want them mm. to get results. You're not offering any sort of nutritional advice from a place of like ill intent or anything like that. <clears throat> Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, that doesn't mean that there isn't inherently some negative aspect in the way that information has been given or in its correctness or in the, the way, you know, just the general approach that you would, you know, I guess, coach someone towards their nutrition. Um, and again, as PTs, like, we want people to get those results, but I think it is important to try and increase the, the awareness of what you're allowed to do as a PT, who you should be giving advice to, and then when you need to refer on to someone who is a bit more of a, a skilled practitioner in that specific area. Um, yeah. I think it needs to be a good balance of stay in your lane versus you know trying to give the clients what they want if they ask you about nutrition and it's just general stuff and you're a PT who's you know, sort of educated in that area to some degree, it's like, cool, it's probably not that much harm in helping somebody a little bit with their diet. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to any sort of, you know, especially any sort of medical condition or any sort of disordered eating patterns or any sort of special dietary requirements or, you know, allergies or intolerances and all these sorts of things, that's where it crosses the line a little bit of like helpful advice versus potentially detrimental. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think obviously very different in the way that I do it now. And I do do like I do still see some like private coaching clients and more in the dietitian role these days. But I love bundling like dietetic services plus coaching package or like, you know, exercise programming um, Mm. in the one thing. And it's a cool it's a cool, I guess, niche to have. But it has taken a long time to develop a good education in both of those sort of fields. Yeah. Know if that's kind of you know where you're going down with that path but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah no, i understand 100%. that pts aren't trying to do too much damage and it's generally never the intent but sometimes it does happen so yes yeah having like like yourself having a, a practitioner that you can refer to for whatever other reasons is a useful sort of i guess relationship to have and a better way to serve your clients in a, a better manner just in the same way that yeah. i wouldn't you know, if I had a, doc, a client I was seeing for nutrition and it's happened, they're like, what can I do for this injury? I'm like, hey, I'm not a physio, but I know a couple of really good physios. Here's their details. I yeah. would encourage you to go and see them for that. Like, 
you know, it's a bit of that stay in your lane type thing. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> um, I think for me personally, like, because I earlier earlier on in my career when I did refer, I actually worked in like an integrated practice where they had um, dietitians as well. And I think yep. <clears throat> I think what happens often in the industry is that like people are like, oh, you know, they don't they don't actually know what they're doing. Like there was a bit of a divide. It was like you sent a client to yep. see a dietitian, and they were like, that was a waste of time. And then you're like, oh, dietitians yep. are useless. And I think that was actually sort of a bit of a belief that I had held until julie started working with you and i'm like oh like obviously there's like going to be practitioners that practitioners that are better suited to people um and i guess the way dietetics is done well varies a lot between people um yeah i love that that point it's 100 percent true like at uni for example we learn fuck all about sports dietetics we get given some like general recommendations of like you know this should be a rough protein intake. Yeah, you know, yeah. 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour. If your exercise session is longer oh. than two hours, you know, lose power. <laughs> Sorry, one second. No, you're right, mate. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Good recovery. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, I was saying... Um, you know, as dietitians at uni, we learn almost no sports dietetics. Um, mm. There are a few elective courses that we can take. So depending on where your passion lies as a dietitian, whether it be, could be community health, it could be food service, it could be clinical, it could be sports. Um, you can choose certain electives that will, you know, help educate you a little bit more than the, the basic course criteria in terms of some extra sports nutrition and stuff like that. But even still, we don't learn you know, sports nutrition to the level that you would hope to get if you were paying a lot of money to see a practitioner to upskill your your nutritional education around your own sport or your own performance. We don't get that at uni yet. We do a lot of clinical stuff and we do a lot of what would be called like medical nutrition therapy. So how to deal with people with, you know, advanced needs or requirements or whatever type of disease, diabetes, kidney failure, like absolutely anything we do, pretty much every condition that you could imagine you might see in a hospital. Mm -hmm. But we don't do any specific sports we do a bit of basic or we did a bit of basic stuff on like yeah endurance exercise and be like yeah you need this amount of carbohydrate if you're running a marathon this is how you carb load and it's all very generic and it's not yeah we don't get a chance to practice it that much in um in uni so unless you have a vested interest in it or a passion in it and pursue it throughout your education and then afterwards as well you're going to have no idea if you have a powerlifter or a bodybuilder come to you and all you've done is like how to help type two diabetics or you know how to help people lose weight that's not useful for someone who wants to put on 15 kilos and squat 300 like you know there's a lot that you don't get from that that basic master's course the way i often describe the dietetics profession like probably any profession i would imagine is that Getting the course and getting the qualification is the start. You learn the very basic, like, you know, enough to get by and not do any damage, hopefully. But that doesn't automatically make you a good practitioner just because you've now got the piece of paper that says you're a dietitian or that says you're whatever, ex-professional. You need to then devote the time and effort and, the, you know, the interest and the knowledge to pursue your specific area of interest to help people in that field. Um, and I think that's very much the case with dietitians. And what yeah. is also the case with dietitians 
as with every job or practitioner in the world, there are good ones and there are shit ones. So, yeah. so like, you know, dietetics <laughs> is, no, is no difference. Uh, yes. So, yeah, I think that's definitely. Yeah, I remember, I remember hearing a funny analogy. Um, it was actually physios discussing like injury rehabilitation, but it was like someone had seen a physio the rapport obviously wasn't there whatever they weren't they weren't a good practitioner for that person and they're like oh physios don't work and it's like yeah you wouldn't you'd never go to a doctor and be like oh doctors don't work yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah, you'd see someone cool. else yeah, you'd see yeah someone we caught that with allied health like dietitians <laughs> yeah. are particularly i think dietitians cop it particularly badly because yeah you know whatever x amount of like nutrition is a very complex thing a lot goes into it your like social status, your upbringing, your, you know, your goals, what you want to do with your physique or your performance or, you know, your weight, there's, you know, there's religion, like, like everything goes into what makes you form your diet and your nutritional choices and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of the times that behavior change and habit change is really difficult to do because it's something you might've had ingrained in you or that you've been doing for 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years. And then all of a sudden you're like, I want to lose 10 kilos and you're fighting against 40 years of habit and culture and whatever social life everything else and it's like that dietitian was shit they didn't help me lose weight meanwhile you're still going out having 20 beers on the weekend still eating takeaway four times a week or like there's not the compliance there that needs to be and obviously it's our job to help work with those people but at some point there's only so much we can do there is some onus on the person it's like it'd be like going to a pt and be like I want to be able to get fit, run 10 Ks and squat hundred kilos. And you go to the gym once or twice a week and skip 90% of your sessions. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. These fault, like not really. Is it the dietitian's fault? If yeah. they gave you the tools and the education and they, you know, worked with you and all this sort of stuff and you weren't compliant or you couldn't make it work with them. It's not necessarily that practitioner's fault all the time either. Yeah. And because yeah, something like weight or, you know, body image is such a sensitive thing it is pretty easy to blame the dietitian if it doesn't work for you too. But mm. like I said, there's also that balance of like, was the practitioner a good practitioner? So, yeah. you know, go either way. <laughs> yeah. Do you think this is a little bit off topic, but that there's sort of that element in healthcare where like we want, people want a quick fix. It's like you pay, you know, like, I mean, pharmaceuticals is a good example. It's like make the pain go away. Give me the painkiller. Like people, yes. people want a similar approach often when it comes to health and fitness. It's like, I'll pay the trainer. I'll be able to do this. It's like, it doesn't work like that. Like similarly, like, yeah, just, yeah. you always have to do the work. Definitely. Yeah. There's yeah. unfortunately there's no way around it. And diet is a hundred percent. One of those ones people want the quick fix for. They want the mm. quick weight loss. They want the lose 16 kilos in our six week challenge or whatever it is. It's like, how long did it take you to put on the 16 kilos? Five years, yeah. six years, 10 years. And you want to lose it in a month and a half. Like, you know, it's probably going to take some time. It's like, how long did, how long did it take you to put the weight on? It's probably going to take you potentially just as long to get it off or, you know, it doesn't have to, but like point being, you didn't put it on overnight. Don't expect to mm. lose it over weight loss. Like, and there's certain, you know, physiological realities that you would know as a PT as well. Like you don't build muscle overnight. You don't come in squatting 40 kilos and then squat 150 a month later because you want to. Um, there's no quick fix. you got to put in the work to some degree. And yeah, the nutrition is yeah. very much the same. And it's it's just such an attractive prospect to be able to do it like that or do it quick or, you know, six minute abs when you're a PT or, 
you know, drop fat fast when you're a, a dietitian or from the nutrition field. And it's very yeah. attractive because it's hard. Um, it's hard to do this. And it, like the education, like I said, is better now than it was 10 years ago. But, you know, where people start to our education at or awareness of nutrition and, you know, bogus supplements and all that sort of stuff, it's better, but it's still relatively bad. Like I still see a mm-hmm. lot of clients on things like dermogenics and fat burners and, yeah. you know, all this trash that's just there to testosterone boosters and whatever else just to, to take your money <laughs> essentially and give you that quick mm-hmm. fix and that you know that instant solution and gratification but unfortunately it doesn't really work like that so yeah it's a great point the yeah fix it now mentality yeah um and i guess like from a consumer point of view like navigating navigating nutrition in the industry like if, when you can google x amount of things and you know you're going to get so many advertisements pop up and people trying to sell you like yeah, test booster or whatever yeah. mag- whatever magic pill. Um, yeah, like it's I guess it's just difficult to navigate a lot of the bullshit. Definitely. That and that's again, that's again the value in having a, a skilled practitioner that can help you navigate that. You know, that's mm. the, that's what we're here for. Um, same sort of yeah. thing, yeah, with yourself with like exercise selection or exercise programming. Um, you know, people have that goal of whatever on a bench a hundred but you're maxing out and working till failure and cooking your, you know, your facts every week and you're not giving yourself time for growth and recovery and you're not periodizing your programming properly. Like that can be hard to find or hard to understand without being taught it or being educated about it by a, a skilled practitioner, like a skilled trainer or a good coach or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the same way that nutrition is like, it's not intuitive knowledge. Like we all know how to eat. Yeah. We all know how to move in the gym. We not know how to sort of exercise but it's different that like, that's a different level of understanding between having a specific goal, understanding how to get there properly. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think almost like a prerequisite requirement to have a good sort of coach or a good dietitian or a good practitioner there to help you along the way. Cause yeah, yeah. it's not something we're born understanding. Yeah. I'd like to touch on um, vegan, vegan dietary, um, I guess considerations and uh, like I'm not sure how many vegan clients I know you work with with Julie but what are some of the um, I guess common issues that that arise with like vegan diets yeah Yeah, cool so um, yeah it's not like my specific niche like um, I'm looking at ideal nutrition where I'm working now we've just had a really good um dietitian starts in clients for us um leah and she like she's a powerlifting vegan um, she's and a diet a very skilled dietitian so yeah. it's very much a niche but um as dietitians it's definitely like a special patient population we do get educated on and i do see quite a few of them in the space as well like i usually have a good handful of like vegans or vegetarians or um you know special dietary requirement type patients on my books as well it's not an uncommon choice these days. So mm. yeah, it's definitely a, a client I'm comfortable seeing by all means. Um, but yeah, not exactly my niche. So if I ever do feel out of depth with something I can't answer or isn't working, I've, it's one of those situations where I'm not, like I won't hesitate to refer on to a specialist practitioner in that area. Yeah. But in general, like some of the things that I would probably look out for in terms of like a vegan diet and are we talking like a vegan diet for exercise performance here i'm i'm guessing yeah yeah 
Yeah. So, you know, some of the basic considerations with the vegan diet is what's that person's understanding of their requirements on a vegan diet? Like, do they understand things like the, like the types of proteins they're eating are different in a plant protein versus an animal protein? Um, you know, so they might have an increased protein requirement compared to a more omnivorous type of diet. So say, for example, someone was looking to, you know, maintain muscle mass while losing weight to make a weight class for a sport or to just try and keep performance in the gym while they were dropping body fat. We would put them on a proportionally higher protein macro than we would an omnivorous diet, just because you're probably not going to get the same amount of protein out of the types of foods that you're going to eat as a vegan or the plant-based protein sources. And that protein is also typically not as bioavailable it's not giving you as many essential amino acids, for example, or, you know, those, there's those sort of considerations around total protein intake. And then there's the, the types of protein. So in terms of amino acids, um, there aren't that many plant-based foods that have all of the essential amino acids in them. Essential meaning that you can't get them from any way else than diet. So if you're missing out on, you know, either a significant amount or completely missing out on certain essential amino acids, you are going to develop a deficiency. So it's like, okay, do, does this client have a good understanding of the types of different plant proteins they need to pair to ensure that they're going to reach a complete amino acid profile? Um, so there's, you know, there's certain just basics, even in just protein intake that need to be addressed. Yeah. Um, then obviously there's, there's some more advanced micronutrient considerations that go along with it. Whenever you're removing any food group in any diet, not just a vegan diet, but any special diet consideration, um, we think, okay, how are we going to replace that nutrient? So when we remove dairy, for example, it's like, okay, well, where are we getting that calcium from? Um, when we remove things like red meat, things like iron become an issue. So I would also kind of usually be keeping an eye on iron, especially in vegans. Um, plants do contain iron. But plants also contain things that inhibit iron absorption. Um, so, you know, spinach by weight has more iron than steak, I think. But it doesn't have more absorbable bioavailable iron. Uh, mm. So, you know, a lot of new vegans or vegetarians are often surprised by that. They're like, well, I eat heaps of iron-rich veggies, heaps of leafy greens, all this sort of stuff. But it's like, yeah, but those leafy greens also inhibit the absorption of iron. It's also in a different form. So for example, the iron in plant-based foods has to go through you know, multiple steps to be absorbed. Whereas the iron from animal-based foods doesn't, it's just a straight get into your intestines, absorb it, as opposed to steps along the way to transform it into a more absorbable form of iron. So mm. that's one usually keep an eye on too would be iron requirements. Um, often, probably not just in vegans, but in everybody like vitamin d levels or something we kind of um like to monitor and be careful of as well so yeah. vitamin d of often going hand in hand with you know various other low levels of micronutrients often iron b12 things like that we do usually see low vitamin d vitamin d is a bit of an issue because if you're not getting it from sunlight there are a few small like sources in the diet you can get so things like salmon, egg yolks, those sorts of foods will provide a little bit of vitamin D, but obviously they're removed in a vegan diet as well. So that's something we would look at. Um, so there's, yeah, I guess those are a few of the basic ones we would look at. Um, mm. Protein, iron, vitamin D, um, 
yeah, little bits and pieces like that. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what else we would do. Probably then just screen for like total calories. Like yeah. sometimes it can't be on a vegan diet to get enough calories and enough nutrition in because the foods you're eating, like the plant-based foods you're eating often are very low in calories. So lots of vegetables, fruits, everything like that. They're much less calorically dense than a lot of animal products are. So sometimes if you're looking for a performance diet, it's like, are you actually getting enough calories and enough food in? And that can yeah. be an issue too. Yeah. Um, have you, like, have you experienced any sort of common things that have popped up with vegan or vegetarian clients? Um, yeah, it would be when I started working with, ve- uh, not vegan, with Julie, um, the total, total calories, like I think she was, yeah, she was having very low total calorie intake. Um, which yeah we like worked on getting up and then it got to a point with her nutrition where I was like hey this is like this is beyond what I could what I could help you with like I I don't know what to do Um, yeah 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 but yeah definitely the total calories was the main one Um, I mean yeah I'd I'd be careful like overstepping my what what I'm allowed to do but yeah like looking at iron um, b12 like having fortified having fortified um, milks to make sure they're getting calcium. Um, yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too. So yeah, B12 is obviously one I didn't really go into there, I think. Yeah. It, B12, like back in the day, it was like a huge like point of argument. These days, like I, I don't really meet many vegans these days that aren't aware of like B12's role and its necessity to be supplemented. Um, obviously, there is no real uh, plant-based source of B12 in terms of the general diet. So it's like, yeah, we do have to make sure you're supplementing this and we do probably want to make sure you're getting it tested in bloods regularly. So yeah. that's definitely one that, that obviously needs addressing. <laughs> that's like rule number one, <laughs> any vegan. Supplementing yeah. Because it's yeah. the only way you're going to get it. But yeah, yeah. that's, that's all. Um, I guess probably the, yeah, on that note of like blood tests, it is something that I do recommend my vegan clients to get tested. Um, on that sort of semi-regular basis just to mm. monitor some things like those micronutrient levels it's a yeah. hard one and it's not just vegans that kind of goes with everybody but like you can't necessarily feel a sub suboptimal level of a micronutrient like mm. if you've got vitamin d it might just be your baseline to feel kind of crappy but because that's your baseline you don't realize that that's kind of crappy until you fix yes. that efficiency and you're like man i feel so much better like yeah. oh that's why so I have now have like a plentiful supply of this micronutrient. Same sort of thing with like iron. Like, yeah, you can feel fatigued and tired and that sort of stuff. And you could just be like, yeah, I'm not really sleeping. I'm busy at work. I'm stressed or whatever. And then you fix your iron deficiency and you're like, wait, I could have dealt with all those things if I wasn't, you know, you know, deficient in, in iron or deficient in B12 or deficient in X micronutrients. So getting yeah. that semi test is definitely something I recommend for sure. Yeah. Yeah, getting like objective because we're so fallible, right? Like, and you hear yeah. it all the time. Someone's like, "Oh, I, st- I started taking B twelve like yesterday. I feel great." It's like, yeah, it's, it's placebo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it's gonna take a little it'd be while awesome to if it took a day, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, that quick mentality again. <laughs> yeah, we touched on this before we started the podcast, but um, raw vegan diets. Um, mm-hmm. This is something Julie recommended. I touch on. I, like, I'm not super in with all the different diets that are out there but um we touched on some of the considerations 
that would need to be made if, if someone was following a raw vegan diet? Yeah, for sure. Um, look, it's not, this isn't that, to be completely honest, I've looked into it, I've researched a little bit, but I've never had a patient like that I've seen in the context of a dietitian um, that is a raw vegan. But mm-hmm. there are kind of, so I've, like I said, I've never dived super deep into it. There are a few considerations that go along with like only eating raw food. Like there are sort of, <clears throat> uh, okay. this, is the, this is why we cook food. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those reasons are to do with like how available, how much more available it, it, it might make the nutrients. Um, so some plant-based foods, I believe it's like oxalates, which mm-hmm. will compete or sort of impair or inhibit some micronutrient absorption. Those can be deep. Those levels can be decreased by cooking. So as a vegan, if you're needing to absorb, you know, proportionately more calcium or iron or whatever minerals from the diet, and then you're not cooking the food, which would help reduce, you know, oxalates or whatever else that are blocking nutrient absorption, or at least impairing nutrient absorption, you're potentially compounding that problem. Um, There there are other types of reasons to cook foods in terms of, you know, foodborne illness and, you know, destroying pathogens or bacteria or whatever else. Um, But yeah, I think from my perspective, I would probably have to do a deeper dive into it or again, refer on to somebody who's a bit more knowledgeable. I would probably pick my colleague Leah's brains a bit on it. But yeah, it's probably not, something I would recommend as a general, you know, a general healthy practice. Like there is not really any enhanced benefit that I'm aware of in terms of not cooking foods, like some vitamins and like some of your water soluble vitamins, for example, might be, you know, slightly denatured or, you know, there might be some of them proportionally degraded or destroyed a little bit in the process of cooking. If they are a heat sensitive vitamin, Mm. um, but it's not like you would be just killing all the nutrients in a food by cooking it. Uh, yes, if that yeah. high population would be nutrient deficient. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's not as much of a concern as, you know, some of the other factors that would outweigh increasing the availability or the, you know, the absorption of certain nutrients through cooking um, and decreasing that risk of foodborne illness or, you know, bacteria and those sorts of things. Yeah. So it's mm. probably, you know, it, it's very individual, like, as a dietitian too, if someone does come to me as a raw vegan, I'm not going to tell them don't be a raw vegan. I'm going to help them do it the best way that they can. Yeah. Um, so would it be optimal? Would it be my preference? Would I recommend it? No. Uh, yeah. Would I try and help somebody do it if that's what they were absolutely set on doing? And if they're going to do it anyway, cool, I'll help you do it better. <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what be my perspective in any of these sort of more, fr- not fringe, but like alternate type of diets. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Because I, yeah, I think it's good that you're respectful of that. I think some people try and push, push their way of doing things onto people, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just conscious of um, conscious of the time, man. Are you right? I wanted to ask about creatine. Have you got yes. like a few more few more minutes? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Yeah, for sure, we can finish with okay. that. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so I recently had um, a client who was concerned with male pattern balding and creatine and like i looked at a systematic review of like yeah looking at creatine and it basically said that it's not there's not conclusive evidence to show that it does lead or increase the risk of male pattern balding i was wondering what your take was on um, on that yeah for sure um yeah just because we're gonna sort of smash through this quickly if anyone wants to 
deeper into this and perhaps you could throw up a link to it um mm. i did like a real deep dive into creatine um oh, published a, a blog post on it on the ideal nutrition website so i went into all the risk of hair loss and balding and the evidence for it and those sorts of things oh, awesome. as well of creatine um but yeah i would say like there is pretty much no sort of increased risk if you are like if you're gonna go bald you're probably gonna go bald anyway and creatine yeah. isn't gonna make that worse um there's no there's no evidence supporting evidence showing that it will increase your risk of baldness or hair loss or make you go bald anyway um like the the side effect profile of creatine is very very minimal like there's mm. almost negative downsides to taking it um like the baldness is a sort of semi-persistent myth um, yeah. surrounding has been around for a long time i think it comes from oh geez I, I dived into this like a year plus ago now so i can't can't remember the exact study details but i think there was like one or two studies ever that kind of really looked into it um and there was like a very loose association in a very poor quality study that sort of suggested there might be a link. Um, I believe it has to do with like the, the metabolization or the breakdown pathways of creatine and how that can infect, uh, interact with like DHT, which is mm. one of your kind of hormones that can sort of trigger that male pattern baldness effect. But yeah, I think without sort of reviewing the specific details, I, I couldn't go into the mechanism or the proposed mechanisms of it, but. I do know that there is absolutely no sort of increased risk or, or no sort of causal effect of creatine and, and sending you bald, luckily. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a little bit hanging in there and I've been... Um, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where like, awesome. if you're going to go bald, probably going to go bald, creatine is yeah. going to cause that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll speed it up. Like, so oh. yeah, probably no concerns there. Um, and then, yeah, there's plenty of other side effects that people worry about with creatine that are usually pretty unwarranted as well. So mm. things like like bloating and and water retention and looking fluffy and all those sorts of things, yeah. Um, yeah. which kind of isn't the case with creatine either. I'm sure you've probably heard of those sorts of ones as well. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I'll, pop, I'll any... definitely I'll pop the uh, yeah 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 that was good yeah I'll pop the link up to the blog that people can check out there as well. Um, yeah, I definitely did do yeah. a bit of a deeper dive into it there. So I'd encourage probably anyone to have a have a read of it. Creatine's like the number yeah. one recommended. Yeah, like yeah, I don't know. The, the myths definitely prevail, though. Like, for some reason, people think they're taking an anabolic steroid or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite oh, happy, but it's definitely worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, awesome, man. Thanks thanks so much for um, for coming on. No, that's all right. Uh, really so, appreciate yeah, your time. Probably ran short on a little bit of time there and uh, meandered a little bit in the conversation. That's the crack. No, no, it's good. Now like hey stick to the <laughs> but, uh, thanks for having me on. it was good to have a chat i'd love to jump on maybe sometime again in the future and we could go a bit more in depth about some specifics in terms of nutrition or performance or whatever it might be um yeah i'm happy to reach out um if you're looking to find me it can just be on um like idealnutrition.com.au ideal yep. nutrition is the practice i work for um otherwise my instagram is lift dietetics so you can find me there as well um often popping out like educational content performance nutrition stuff on there um and then obviously always happy to receive a dm if anyone has any questions or any diet specifics or anything like that yeah awesome and is that just at 
lift underscore dietetics. That's the one. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. I'll pop the um, links up in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll flick over that blog post for creatine as well for any of your listeners that might be oh, curious. Yeah. And yeah, always encourage anyone to reach out with any questions or anything like that. Because like we touched on at the start, it's a pretty confusing area at times and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, 100%. All right. 